Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence this evening. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be together. We're always grateful for the evening worship service and the opportunity that it affords us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we're going to be looking in just a moment at the book of Job. And I would invite you to turn to the passage that Cameron read just a moment ago. In Job chapter 3, verse 25, Job said, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. What are your greatest fears in life? Job here is acknowledging that some of the things that he feared the most had come to pass. What is it you fear in life? Is it illness or disease? The loss of a job? Maybe the loss of a parent? What about the loss of a child? It may be that there are any number of fears that you have as you sojourn here on planet Earth. As we think about the book of Job, I want us to consider the theme when our worst fears are realized. Because when you look at the life of Job, you see that he acknowledges here in chapter 3, verse 25, that that which he had greatly feared had indeed come to pass. So how do we deal with times when our fears come to pass? How do we wrestle with those things? How do we get through them? How do we survive? And really sometimes it comes down to survival. I want to begin by talking about the losses of godly Job. And we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2 to talk about some of the losses of Job. And then in chapter 3, we're going to note his cry. I want to begin by talking about, for just a moment or two, the character of Job. The text tells us there was a man in the land of Uz. Uz was located somewhere in the area of Edom, near the Dead Sea. Also, it would have been located around the region of Northern Arabia. The text says that this man's name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. In one verse, we have a lot said about the character of this man. If you wanted to sum it up, he was a godly man. Job was a good man. He would have been the kind of person that people would have, people would have looked up to. They would have had respect for him because of the way he conducted himself in life. We think about his character. We also have insight into the crisis that he faced. Let's talk for just a minute about the crisis of Job. In chapter 1, first of all, we find that he lost his family. In verse 2, the Bible says that there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Down in verses 18 and 19, 
we have the account of the deaths of his sons and daughters. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, another also came to him and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young men and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. We talk about the physical losses that he experienced. I can't imagine losing one child, much less 10. And yet the Bible says that this righteous, godly man buried 10 children. Not only did Job experience physical losses, but there is what I believe to be emotional loss as well. Now we talk about the blessings and the comforts that we have in the context of the family. One of the great blessings of having a family are the rich associations that we enjoy. Think about those relationships being severed. Job didn't have the opportunity to talk to his children anymore because they were dead. And then I think about it in chapter 2, the emotional loss of his own wife. Because the Bible says in verse 9 that she asked Job, do you still hold to your integrity? Curse God and die. And so not only has Job experienced physical losses, but he has lost that emotional tie that no doubt existed between his children and himself and also that emotional tie between him and his wife. Because you see, they were obviously not on the same page. And then we have the loss of his fortune. In verse 3, the text tells us, His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Down in verses 14 through 17, we have a chronicle of the losses of his fortune. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So you have tragedy upon tragedy. First he loses his family, and then he loses his fortune. Job was a very wealthy man. And then there's a third thing that Job lost, and that is his fitness. In chapter 2, we have the account of Satan before the throne of God. And the Lord said in verse 3, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Satan responded by saying, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give 
for his life. Really what Satan was saying is, every man has his price. And so, it's in light of that that Job is afflicted with painful boils. Verse 7 says, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So, to put it all in context, he lost his family, his fortune, and his fitness. The Bible says in verse 8 that he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. What a terrible sight. And then I want to call attention to the conduct of Job. We talk about his character, his crisis, but what about his conduct? How did Job react in the face of adversity? How would you have reacted? We talk about when our greatest fears are realized. Listen to what is said in verse 20 of chapter 1. Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now look at verse 22. And all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. After his wife encouraged him to curse God and die, verse 10 says that he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from from God and shall we not accept adversity now listen in all this Job did not sin with his lips and so despite all of these tragedies the text tells us Job did not sin sometimes in the face of trial and adversity and distressing situations what do people do they oftentimes look to God and they curse God because of their situation. And then I want to call attention to the comforters of Job. Note if you would, in verse 11, we read of three men that come to mourn and comfort Job. Verse 11 says that they heard of the adversity, the adversity that had come upon him. And so I think about their purpose. Their purpose was noble. Is it not the case that the Bible says that we are to weep with those that weep, to rejoice with those that rejoice? These men were friends of Job, and they came to offer him some type of comfort. Verses 12 and 13 inform us of their pain. Listen to what is recorded. When they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. I'm not sure what Job might have looked like on that occasion, but I, I can somehow visualize this poor man. He's lost literally everything near and dear to his heart. He's lost his own health. When they saw him, it hurt. It cut them deeply. The Bible says they didn't recognize him and they wept. Note also verse 13. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw his grief 
was very great. Not just great, but very great. I was thinking just a moment ago, when Billy was leading us in our singing, and sometimes we're called upon when people are hurting, those of us who are preachers, we're called upon to go to a family in distress. And sometimes in difficult situations, we wrestle with what to say. I've come to believe that sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. And as Billy was leading our, our singing tonight, I thought about that song, God Will Take Care of You. What if you were called to the home of somebody that had lost 10 children? They lost everything physically, materially, that they owned. They lost their health. What would you say to them? You know what you might say? God will take care of you. I may not understand all of the things going on in life, and there are some times when I feel very inadequate in, in terms of what to say on certain occasions. Sometimes the, best things, sometimes the best thing is just don't say anything. And then if you have to say something, God will take care of you. I believe that. I want you to think now about the cry of Job. In chapter 3, we have in, in this short chapter, his cry. First, there is his distress. In the first 24 verses, Job literally curses the day in which he was born. You've heard, no doubt, people sometimes question why they were ever born. And there are people in our world today, they wish they had never been born. In light of the horrible tragedy that Job had experienced, that's really the sentiments of his heart. He wished he had never been born. Let me just share with you some of the verses. The Bible says in verse 1, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his, of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day. Those who are ready to arouse Levithan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light but have none and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Now listen to him in verse 11. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Let me just pause there. In these few verses, you get a sense of the distress, the overwhelming distress that Job felt. Now drop down and look again at verse 25 and note his dread. He said that the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. No doubt there are fears that 
Sometimes we push back into the recesses of our mind. And somewhere down deep in our hearts, we know the possibility of certain things occurring or happening in life. It may be the dreaded C word of cancer. It might be some type of other disease or illness. It might be the loss of a child or children. It might be the loss of a parent or both parents, the loss of a sibling, the loss of a job, the loss of our possessions. And Job here is expressing that all of his greatest fears have come home. Note, if you would, verse 26, his despair. The text says, I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. I suspect that were we in Job's position, we would have felt the same way. We would have been in utter despair or distress. I can't imagine the despondency of his soul. I can't, um, I can't begin to, to imagine what this poor man was experiencing in his life. And to be quite honest, I don't want to know. Sometimes I think we read about people like Job and other characters in the Bible and we think of them as mere characters and not as human beings. Job was a real human being. And Job was literally knocked to the canvas of life. And so, the question now arises, all right, Job, how are you going to deal with this? We're not, we're not going to take the time to look at what the three friends of Job had to say about the difficulties he was facing. They had a lot of erroneous conclusions about why Job was suffering as he did. But there are some legitimate lessons that can be gleaned from the life of Job. So I want to talk for just a minute or two about the lessons gained by Job. And I really believe that we gain insight into the life of Job, that we can learn from his life just as he learned from the tragedies that occurred. Let me begin by saying this. Whether we like it or not, godly people, Christian people, are not immune to suffering and adversity. Go back and look again at chapter 1, verse 1. The text says that Job was a man, blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Were you to say something about the character of Job, what would you say? He was a good man. He was a godly man. Just because we are members of the body of Christ, just because we are Christians, does not mean we're not going to suffer in this life. As a matter of fact, life is often filled with troubles and trials and difficulties. Look over in chapter 14 for a minute. Listen to what Job said in chapter 14, verse 1. Man who is born of woman is a few days, now listen to him, and full of trouble. 
Did Job, did he understand the troubles of life? You better believe he did. Job went to the school of hard knocks. Here's a man, as I said a moment ago, that had literally been knocked to the canvas of life. And so Job is saying, look, those who come forth from the womb, their tenure here upon earth is brief, and their days are filled with trouble. In verse 2, he said he comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. The Bible talks about a lot of good people that suffered in days gone by. You can look at the Old Testament and you can read of any number of some of God's greatest servants, and they suffered. I think about Jeremiah the prophet for one. Jeremiah faced a lot of adversity in his life. I'm reminded not only of Jeremiah but Ezekiel, two great prophets of God. And James in chapter 5 talks about the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering. I think about the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 12, he said, For this reason I also suffer these things. Paul had been appointed an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And that came with a lot of heartache because he suffered for his faith. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 19, Peter talks about those who suffer according to the will of God. His exhortation, commit your souls unto him who is a faithful creator. There are a lot of people in the New Testament that we read about that had difficulties and trials. Some even faced death. James, for example, the brother of John, was put to death with the sword. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they have the idea that if they'll just become a child of God, all of their troubles and trials will vanish away. Hey, I wish that were the case. I wish I could tell you that if you became a child of God, life would, would simply be smooth sailing. But the fact of the matter is, that's not the case. As a matter of fact, sometimes as Christians, we suffer more because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Paul was saying in 2 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 12. But note, if you would, when Paul talked about suffering those things, he said, Nevertheless, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And so, yes, we're going to face trials and tribulations and suffering. But the fact is, we have the hope of heaven. We understand that life is often filled with sorrows and trials and tribulations. There's a better day coming. There's a second thing, a second great lesson, and that is whatever happens in life, good or bad, whatever highs or lows we experience in this life, we need to understand that life can change on a dime, literally speaking. Whatever comes our way, we have to resolve to trust in Almighty God. Let me share with you what Job said in chapter 13. Look at chapter 13, verse 15. Listen, if you would, to what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
sometimes we have to just trust God. There are things that go on in the lives of people, and there are people I will freely grant that have faced greater adversities than I. There are some that have faced mountains that I can't even begin to understand. And I will freely grant to you, I don't have all the answers. There are things that happen on planet Earth, I don't know why. I, I think I have an understanding to a great extent. When we talk about human suffering, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden and sin. Because you see, when sin entered into the world, death came as a result of that, according to Romans 5, verse 12. And not just death, but pain and misery and heartache and sorrow and trial and tribulation and temptation. All of those things are a reality because of what occurred in the garden. But there are people that are hurting deeply. And there are folks in our world today that have been cut to the heart. There are people in the church that suffer immeasurably. And some have faced great losses. As I said a minute ago, I don't have all the answers. Sometimes people will ask the question, why? Why me? Why is this happening? Why did that happen? I don't have all the answers. But I know this. Come what may, we have to trust in God. Listen again to Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That is absolute confidence in Almighty God. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 3 at verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He said, Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Sometimes all we can do is trust in God. As we navigate our way through life, there are a lot of things that, that come our way. There are a lot of turbulent sea, a lot of turbulent waters that we have to face. And in light of those turbulent waters, I would encourage us to anchor our lives in the Lord and to learn to trust Him no matter what. You see, one of the great lessons that Job learned, you've got to trust God. And there are a lot of people in our world today they have to trust God. They have to, to learn to trust God. Talking about people who are in the church. Trusting God. Allowing Him to lead us, to guide us safely home. Do you remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth? And he talked about their light affliction, which is but for a moment. He said, we don't look at the things which are seen but rather we look at the things which are not seen. He said the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. We have to look at life through the eye of faith and realize that Jehovah God is in absolute control. One of the, I think one of the great verses in all the Bibles found in Psalm 99 verse 1 where it says the Lord reigns. Let me tell you what, God is in control. And God can lead me safely home. There's a third lesson. 
and that his human suffering can serve as a building block or building blocks in our faith. There are two possibilities when we face trials and tribulations in this life. Response number one is allow those things to crush our faith, to break us down, to beat us down, to leave us bewildered, and to just throw up our hands and say, I quit. The second response is to say, we're going to allow these adversities and these trials or tribulations or whatever it is we're facing in life, we're going to allow those things to help build our faith, to give us greater strength and dependence in God. In James chapter 1, James said, Count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience or perseverance. He said, let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. And the idea is that the trials of life, the various trials that we face in life, can lead to spiritual maturity if we allow those things to do so. Down in verse 12, James said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And so here is the idea of allowing the trials and the difficulties of life to refine us and to make us what we are. Look back over your life and think about some of the difficult times that you have faced in your life. To those of our young people, I would say, you may have experienced tough times already. It may be the case that you haven't experienced tough times yet, but just brace yourself because tough times will come. Why is that? Because we live on planet Earth. And as Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. You would be an unusual person if you were to get through this life without any kind of suffering and heartache. I just don't know people that get through life without problems. Problems are a reality. But when we face those difficulties and trials, they can help to make us the kind of people that can be used in service to God. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about how God is the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies. And he talks about how as Christians, we can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted ourselves. One of the things that we can do as God's people, when we face tough times in this life, we can use those experiences to empathize and sympathize with others and to say, hey, look, I've been there. I know what you're going through. There are some things I will freely admit I, I don't understand from the vantage point of what people are experiencing. There are some things that I have experienced. But when you look at life and you begin to think about all the people that make up the body of Christ, as a whole, the experiences that you're facing are not uncommon. And then there's a fourth lesson that I would share with you. And that is, sometimes when people suffer debilitating 
or devastating losses in life. They, they have the idea that life is over, that that's the end, that, that brighter days will never again come. I want to say to you that's not necessarily the case. In James chapter 5, you remember James said, you have heard of the patience of Job. And in that context, he talks about the intent of the Lord. He said, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. What about Job? What about people that experience traumatic losses as he did? There, there are a lot of folks in our world that have met tough times. Some have opted out of life because of difficult times. Some see difficult times as the end. They, they have the idea that better days will never return. I want to call attention to chapter 42. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 42 very quickly. One of the great lessons that Job learned, I believe, had to do with the power and goodness of God. Job came to understand that God is in absolute control, and there are some things that we as human beings, we just can't answer. But you find in chapter 42... Job praying for his three friends. And God, in verse 8 of chapter 42, speaks of, speaks of Job as my servant. That's interesting. That God looks at Job as his servant. But note, if you would, verse 10. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house and they consoled him, comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than, the, than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And then look at verse 15. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of years. I want to simply say this. Yes, we face tough times in life. And yes, we face adversity and losses. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't blessings on the horizon. In no way would I minimize Job's losses. I don't think you can replace children. But God blessed Job. And sometimes folks throw in the towel and say, well, that's it. I quit. I give up. 
And there are people in our world that have ended their physical life because they got down in that hole and didn't think there was a way out. They didn't think there were brighter days on the horizon. Job rode that storm out and God blessed him. And so to me, as we face life, I always think about there are good times and bad times. There are highs and lows. There are joys and frustrations. We take life as it comes. We take it one day at a time. But in taking life one day at a time, we trust God. And we learn to trust Him greater each and every day. I want to close by saying this. I don't know how people make it in life without God. There are people that try to make it without God. I don't know how they do it. I don't want to live without God. I want God in my life in good times, and I sure want him in bad times, tough times, difficult times. God was with Job, and God will be with you. It may be that you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you tonight to come to Christ. I don't know where, I don't know where you are in life if you're not a child of God in terms of some of the difficulties that you face, but I know this. God can help you through those adversities. Here's what you need to do. Believe Jesus is the Son of God. Be willing to repent of every sin, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32, and be baptized so that you might enjoy salvation, Mark 16, 16. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. And if you will live faithfully, the Lord will give you that crown of life that James talked about in chapter 1, verse 12. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian, but you're suffering. And you're on the mat right now. Listen, please. We're God's family. As God's family, we have the opportunity to pray with one another and for one another. We'd be happy to do that for you today. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. There's a lot of power in prayer. And so, I want to encourage you, wherever you are in life, whatever needs you may have, I want to encourage you, come tonight as we stand and sing.